It's Wednesday night, and we're in a series. I've I've spoken on this many times, but this is one of the most intricately detailed series of the Bible, and it's the series on tongues. There's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues in the Bible. That's just not true. This series is about tongues, and tongues is directly related to the 70 weeks of Daniel. And tongues is directly related to uh, Christmas. (laughs) This sounds strange, doesn't it? But it's directly related to Christmas. And this map here on the... This map up here, right here, that is what Christmas is about. This is the Mediterranean. I got this out of a out of a book that I bought up at uh, the grocery store, and it has these maps in it. It's about the medieval world and about the Roman Empire, Western Roman Empire. This is how we're here. And then you have the Eastern Roman Empire over here. The Eastern Roman Empire was ruled by by a Constantine from Constantinople. They changed the name of that to Istanbul in the last hundred years. And then the Eastern Empire, the Western Empire, was ruled over here by a man named Maximus. And then Constantine comes over and conquers Maximus, and he becomes the ruler of the entire Roman Empire. The empires were found on the Mediterranean Sea. This is, this is the Bible, the lands of the Bible right here, just in the Mediterranean region. That's where it's all about. Jerusalem and Israel are here on the eastern end of the Mediterranean, and they're the only people that have any of the Word of God. Jerusalem, right here. Israel. Everybody else has no truth, or they dwell in the bottomless pit. Bottomless. And that's a terrible translation in the book of Revelation, because the Bible says the beast comes out of the bottomless pit, and that the scorpions come out of the bottomless pit. The scorpions, and scorpion comes from scorpion, it is the word Scorpios, and it, there's a there are nouns and verb forms for the nouns in the Greek language. Scorpizo is the verb form, and that's the word that Jesus used in John ten when he says, "The hireling, the man who preaches for money, cares not for the sheep; he allows the wolves." to come in, and wolves are false teachers, and to scatter the flock. And scatter is the verb form of scorpion. It's the word scorpizo. So wolves scatter the flock, and the Bible says in Ezekiel, the second chapter, Ezekiel, you dwell among scorpions. He was over here in Babylon. He says, be not afraid of their words. Scorpions have words. So they dwell in the bottomless pit, which is the word abusos. Abusos 
that's a word that's been translated bottomless pit a terrible translation you mean you know better jim how that needs to be translated than the translators of the king james bible i absolutely do yes i know better what it means they didn't translate it right it it's a construction of the word bathos bathos or bathidzo would be a verb form bathidzo and it means something with great intellectual depth with great understanding with knowledge and understanding when you place the alpha in front of a word in the greek language it's called the alpha privative alpha privative some call it privative i don't care how you pronounce it the alpha privative and that means it negates the word just like atypical it means not typical or asexual meaning not sexual and a bathos when you place the alpha in front of bathos or bethidzo it translates a, a busos or we call it abyss and it means a place of no knowledge no the alpha negates the word bathidzo there's knowledge there until you negate that it means no knowledge and no one in the Mediterranean <coughs> except Israel on the eastern end of the Mediterranean, that other nation right there, <coughs> had any knowledge of God. None of them had any knowledge of God until Acts, the second chapter. That's when the gospel was extended to the Gentiles. Gentile is everybody that's not a Jew. Let me erase this down here. Gentile is everyone that's not a Jew. And all these Gentiles knew nothing about God until God sent Paul to the Gentile world. And then he began to scatter and hear the truth. And that began in Acts 2 with the tongues. Notice how it all just, just lays in and falls into place together. So, the false teachers are the scorpions. Everybody in, in the Middle East, a man who's a con man and he doesn't have any truth and he's lying, he's, he was called a scorpion. If he was a used camel salesman cheating people, they called him a scorpion. We call him a snake in the grass in America. We don't mean it's a snake crawling around. We mean it's just a crook. Now, so scorpions, scorpions, Christmas, 70 weeks of Daniel, tongues are all a part of the same thing. Now, Israel is just this little bitty nation here, less than the size of New Jersey, smaller than New Jersey. All the world has its eyes on that. God says, I've come to you. I did not come to you because you're the greatest nations in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, God had said, I didn't come to you because you're the greatest. You're the smallest of nations. But he said, if you're obedient to me, if you're obedient to me, I'll fill up your land full of crops. You have all the food you want. Your children will all be healthy. And you can go against your enemy one way. And it doesn't matter if it's the entire empire. 
you'll be able to whip anybody as one of the smallest nations in the world. You can take them all on. But he said, if you're disobedient to me, I'm going to scatter you all over the face of the earth. And he did that. For 500 years under kings, from Saul through Zedekiah, the last king of southern Judah. I put him on the bottom there because he's in southern Judah. And all through the judges, they kept going back after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech. And those were sun and tree gods and the grove and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was a generic term for all the female deities. They kept going after that. And that's the same system the reason God scattered them all over the earth, that's the same system that Constantine brought in the church in 325 A.D. This is a... I wish you could paint this like a painting, because it's a picture. Think of it as a picture and a painting. He scatters them all over the earth because they go after these other gods. All the time they're a nation... From First Samuel through Second Chronicles, actually they don't go after the the gods until you get into First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. That's where they go after these other gods. And God says, just for that, I'll send these four judgments: the sword, the famine, the pestilence. And He sent that over and over for five hundred years. Finally, he said, I'm going to bring the beast in Babylon. Persia, Greece, Rome. You say, Jim, you've said that a thousand times. This is the whole story of Israel. This is the story of the Middle East and what's going on there right now. So he scatters them. But you've got to keep in mind, before they ever become a nation, they're in Egypt. Well, first of all, before they're in Egypt, after they're in Egypt, they're 40 years in the wilderness, then they're in the book of Judges. And then you have the kingdom of Israel, which is the nation, kingdom. But before they were in the desert, they were in Egypt. Egypt. And before Egypt, you had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These were the four patriarchs. Joseph, because his second-born son Ephraim, became the ruler and the inheritance of all Israel, and he was the head of the ten northern tribes, and Judah was the head of the ten of the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, two southern tribes. This is the entire story of Israel. You cannot, you cannot separate tongues from the 70 weeks, from Christmas, from the false teachers. They all go together. And the reason they go together is the Lord tells Moses when he's coming out of Egypt after 400 years in Egypt, he goes into the desert at the beginning of that 40 years, goes up onto Mount Sinai, and gets the law of God. And in that law, and at right as they get to the Mount Sinai. They they leave Egypt in Exodus, the 13th and 14th chapter. The 14th chapter, they're crossing the Red Sea. And then they 
when they leave Egypt in Exodus, the 23rd chapter, the 14th chapter, they're just getting in the desert. The 23rd chapter, God's giving them laws when they're down here in the bottom of this Sinai Peninsula. They leave Egypt, cross the Red Sea, come down here to Sinai, and God gives them laws. He gives them laws, and those laws say they've got a particular law in Exodus 23, and it's several other places in the Old Testament in the law, that all the males have to come back. This would include while they're scattered. All the males have to come back to the three feasts. You say, Jim, you keep saying that. I want you to really get this in your head. This is the entire picture of the Bible that I'm giving to you. There's no other timelines. There are a lot of details and a lot of men involved in it, a lot of battles and a lot of treachery and a lot of lying and a lot of stealing and a lot of uh, turning on one another. It sounds like, I keep saying, like the young and restless. Sounds like as the world turns because its families are divided and their rape and murder and killing within the family. They would try to kill the king, get him off the throne. David's family was turning on him, raping one another. It was just unbelievable. We're going to get into that on Sunday morning. Now, they're scattered all over the earth, and they got these three feasts that they all have to come back to. Passover. All the males. Passover, Pentecost. And the Feast of Ingathering. The Feast of Ingathering... The Feast of Ingathering was was had different names. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Huts. The Jews in New York, a, a, a devout Jew in New York, they set up huts outside of their buildings uh, during these feast days, and they'll live in a hut out on the streets in New York. And and coupled with the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Tabernacle and Huts, was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the tenth day of the seventh month. Now, the seventh one, we're talking about the seventh month. We're talking about the seventh month on the what you would call the ecclesiastical calendar. The ecclesiastical calendar only lasted seven months. Their yearly months went from Nisan to Nisan. But their ecclesiastical calendar, Nisan was March, April, March, April to March, April. And they had 360 days in their calendar, and that comes in to explaining some things. But the ecclesiastical calendar was the first month of the ecclesiastical calendar was uh, March, April, up to the seventh month. Notice, March, April. What do you think of when you think of March, April? Huh? What'd you say? Well, springtime, it's they're starting to reap what they planted. 
So this is food time. And they reap all the way to the end of the harvest. End of harvest. And end of harvest was September, October. And that was the seventh month or Tishri. So you had seven months. And what is the main key? What is one of the main keys during that harvest time? What's part of the promise of God in Deuteronomy 28? He said, obedience to me is the key. If you obey me, you'll get crops from March, April, all the way to the end of the harvest, and you'll have plenty, but you got to keep one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Every seven years, you have a sabbatical year. You leave the land alone and you never harvest anything, you don't plant anything, you leave the land alone every seven years, and you can't touch the land, it'll be for the needy, the poor, what grows of itself. You can even go out and eat of the land yourself, That anything that grows of itself. But you cannot harvest anything, and that's one of the places where the Pharisees tried to trap the... the uh, uh, the apostles when they said your apostles are out there and they're gathering uh, wheat uh, they call it corn but it was actually the wheat buds and they're out there rubbing it together to rub the skin off the wheat so they can eat it on the Sabbath day but the Bible says in Deuteronomy they could do that they weren't breaking the Sabbath and the Pharisees accused them of harvesting, just simply rubbing together. Anybody could walk through the fields on on a Sabbath and eat whatever they wanted to. Now, so, because Israel kept going after these gods, it's the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed Christ Mass. Same thing. And the reason Constantine brought it into the church was because you can look at this map right here and tell why. The the Roman Empire started with Caesar, with Julius Caesar, and everyone was called a Caesar after that. During Jesus' time, Augustus Caesar was the Caesar. Then you had Tiberius after that. He went on to some real clowns, some butchers and barbarians like uh, like uh, Nero, like, uh, what's his name, Little Boots, uh, Caligula. He was a murderer, a barbarian, slaughtered his own people. Caligula was a word that meant Little Boots because his father would walk him around he was little among the soldiers and he wore little boots and they called him that Caligula he was a slaughterer a butcher well you get on down here and you've got all these different Caesars they took Caesar as a title they took it from Julius Caesar the first Caesar and and then made him the that was before the first century when Caesar came on the on the scene I'm not going to get any more than that now this is the reason for tongues right here on this. This is the reason for Christmas right here. 
I've got a book called The Myth of Mary, and it's got a chapter on this right here, if you can get The Myth of Mary. Because what ruled the world during the empire of Rome was Rome, and they only ruled on the Mediterranean Sea. And the reason for that, that was trading, that was all kinds of merchandising. They traveled all over uh, the Mediterranean area, and Israel's on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And on this end is Spain is right down here, and you got the Rock of Gibraltar and the Strait of Gibraltar where you'd come into the Mediterranean Sea. This was the main sea as far as the world concerned. They didn't know anything about the Atlantic Ocean as of this point. Nobody had come over uh, to the American continent, and it wouldn't have called America then. That kid didn't come over this continent. And Constantine, when he was the Caesar, you've heard me talk about this. Everything that wasn't in his rule was, was considered pagans. And you can see up here the Saxons, the Franks, the the Angles, uh, all the way up into this north country, the Burgundians, the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Huns. The Huns come from the Far East. We know that Huns was what they called uh, in, when you were in Tibet or you were over in China. Uh, that was the Huns were over there. During World War One, we called the Germans Huns because they came over here and settled in this area. Whenever you'd see uh, uh, the Red Baron, uh, Manfred von Richthofen, flying his red, he had, they called it the Flying Circus. You saw all these different colored planes, and you were in the British uh, military or Air Force or America, and you had to be really careful because those guys were deadly and they were expert pilots. And you knew when they, you saw the flying circus coming, that was the Red Baron. Well, and we and they called them Huns. There come the Huns. Well, the Huns come from the Far East. Here's the Huns. You can see them. The Lombards, they were pagans. Ostrogoths come in here. And we were pointing this out just before church. Uh, and D was looking, here's the Visigoths. And what Constantine was afraid of was the Visigoths coming and overthrowing Rome. So he said, I've got to bring all their gods into the church at Rome. And it was a corrupt church. And he brought them in, and they had a feast of Saturn there that they called the Saturnalia. And what they did before he brought Christmas into the church, they had a seven-day festival that went from December the 17th through the 24th, and it was called the Feast of Saturn. And the reason it was called the Feast of Saturn, because Saturn was the father of the gods in Rome. And they wanted to appease the father of the gods because they said at the winter solstice, Notice how all this is just like click, 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 click. It's one picture. The tongues, the the 70 weeks, Christmas. It's, you can paint the picture one stroke of a brush. It's all one picture. And 
they had this festival, Feast of Saturn, and they said that they had to do something because the 21st of December was the longest nights of the year. Longest nights. I'll just spell it N-I-T-E-S. It was the longest nights, and that that meant that they thought the sun was either moving away from the earth or it was burning out. All the pagans believe that. So uh, they appointed a birthday for the sun. They called it the unconquerable sun, Natalis Solus Invicti. That's a Latin term that means birth, nativity, of the unconquerable, and solace is the word sun. The birth of the unconquerable sun was the 25th of December. So Constantine takes that. Of course, the sun is is waning down to its dimmest point. You have the winter, the summer solstice, June the 21st. And if the sun is dimming, as I've got it shown, reducing to a point, the sun is dimming. And that's what they thought. They didn't know what it was. They thought, well, the sun's moving away from the earth and we need to do something about it. So they had this birthday of the sun. And they were appealing to the Saturn to have his sun come back to the earth so they could have crops in the spring. Notice Israel's obedience was about crops, and the pagans wanted crops in the spring, so they were pacifying their sun and tree gods. So Constantine, at Christmas time, he brings this feast of Saturn into the church, renames it the Christ Mass, and thus begins the Roman Catholic Church. So Christmas is the mass of Roman Catholicism. The mass is not the same thing as going to a Baptist church and partaking of communion, even though I don't believe in that either. The mass is eating human flesh. The mass is, everyone that's been a Catholic knows that the mass is the focal point of all Catholicism. Everything else is minor, isn't it? Having been a Catholic, you were a Catholic, weren't you? Everything else is secondary. The Mass is when they will raise the Eucharist up. I got my picture up here. I don't know where it is. And they hold the Eucharist up and they say the words or something along this line. Hoc est, hoc, H-O-C, est, corpus, um, fili. And they say that turns into the literal body of Christ and they have everyone come down the aisle and accept the Eucharist or accept Christ. That's where accept Christ comes from. Uh, accept Christ in a Baptist church is Roman Catholicism. They walk down the aisle and they used to have everybody kneel down, stick their tongue out, and they would accept the Eucharist on their tongue. They say within the Eucharist is the real presence of Christ. The real presence means he's actually present in that Eucharist. Sheldon says when he first started taking his Eucharist in the Catholic Church, he said, now I get to go to heaven because I've eaten, the, I've eaten this holy cookie. It's like, it's just the world has been fooled. That's the, that's the very essence of Roman Catholicism is the Mass. When Constantine brings this into the church and renames the Feast of Saturn Catholicism because 
he's afraid he's going to lose the empire to the Huns, the Vandals, the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, uh, the barbarians of all kinds, the Gauls, the all of these these heathens, Saxons, they're all sun and tree worshipers. And he says, I've got to do this. This map right here shows you the reason for Christmas. And it's in the, huh? The quote? You have it marked? Okay. All right. Observing that freedom of worship should be not be denied, but that each one should be given the right to adhere to the religion that suits his preference. That's in this National Geographic. That's talking about the Edict of Toleration. So Constantine in 313, he says, we're going to, they were slaughtering the Christians up to this point. Diocletian, the great barbarian of the Caesars, he stepped down around 305 and and Constantine starts ruling. He conquers all the empire and he says, we're going to put out an edict of all these people that they can come into the church we're not going to kill any of the Christians and everybody can come in and hold hands and get along and you can be whatever you want to be. You can call yourself a Christian, celebrate Christ's mass with us and eat the literal body of Christ. That's where Christmas is. That's where it comes from. It don't matter whether John MacArthur believes that or not. He says he believes it, but he says we're going to use this season to glorify God. The feast of Saturn was an orgy. Do you think Jesus wants his name on an orgy? It's ridiculous. Now, I've studied more about this than John MacArthur ever has. I don't have any doubt about that. I've been studying it for 30 years. Been believing something was wrong with it for 40, 50 years. And John said, I understand that this is the feast of Saturn, that Mithra's birthday, the chief god of the Romans, was uh, December the 25th. And he said, however. What do you mean, however, or but? can't say, but we're going to use this to glorify God. You think Jesus wants his name on an orgy? I just think the preachers are crazy, including John on this point here. So this is the reason for everything that's going on over here. Christmas is a part of the same system as the 70 weeks. So God, what God says, when I scatter you, you still have to come back for these three festivals. And when I scatter you, I'm going to give you because you never did keep the sabbatical years. It only stands to reason they would say, why do we want to not work, uh, not harvest every seven years? We planted and we want to do what we want to do. So what they did, they picked out these sun gods who were fertility gods. They were fertility gods. I, what gets me, what gets me is that our God is the fertility God. He said, I'll increase your fields, your basket, your store, and you'll have everything you need. He's the fertility God. And they would say, but our gods have given this to us. If you read that second chapter of Hosea, they will say, God says they would, Israel would say, our gods have given us all this wheat and this corn and this. God says, they didn't give that to you. And he called them, he called these sun gods their lovers, Israel's lovers. 
So he says, since you didn't, during this 500 years where he's going after these other gods, you never kept sabbatical years. And you weren't obedient to me. And you couldn't conquer your enemies. Only when you had a righteous king and a righteous man like David or a righteous man like Gideon can you conquer your enemies. So he said, as long as, you, as long as you're doing this, he said, you still have to come back to these festivals. And now you're scattered all over the earth. And you're going to have to come back to these festivals. And here they are, scattered all over the world. This is the same map as the one we just turned away from, except it's got all these arrows pointing back to Jerusalem. And this is the main roads to Jerusalem. And this is this is the Israel, after they're scattered, after they're scattered, it's showing all of them coming back to Israel. All these arrows point over this way. They point to Jerusalem. They end at Jerusalem where they have to come back and they have to bring their sacrifices. But the thing is, you can see in Second Kings, the 17th chapter, you can see northern Israel scattered. Israel scattered. Scattered by the Assyrian monarchs. And they were under siege of the Assyrians for 10 years. They finally succeeded in carrying all of northern Israel away. That's the 10 northern tribes. They carried them away in 722 B.C. But they started this this war with them in 732 B.C. So finally the Assyrians slaughtered northern Israel and carried them away into captivity. Do they still have to keep these festivals? Yes. That's the law of God. They have to go back to Jerusalem, take a sacrifice or a half shekel to buy a lamb when they get to Jerusalem because everybody wasn't shepherds. I keep saying that. So, and all the time they're scattered, they have to be coming back, but they're all speaking these different, if you live in a foreign land for five, six, seven hundred years, you're going to be speaking the language of that land, aren't you? You're not going to be speaking your original language. And by the time you get to Acts 2, the Jews are not speaking all these, they're not speaking their own home language. Let me tell you why. Mr. Edersheim will tell you that the Pharisees, and that's another story in itself, the Pharisees more or less deified the Hebrew language and said that was only spoken by scholars and students in the temple. And it wasn't spoken in the streets because everybody in the streets of the world was speaking a dialect of what was called the Koine. Koine is the word common. They had a common street language in every city state. I keep talking about a city state. A city state is like Nashville. Nashville is the capital city of Tennessee and it rules to the border 
all of the Tennessee laws apply to the borders of Tennessee. Well, that would be a city state. So we, if they, if we were back then, we would have our own dialect of the Greek language. And that's what they had. These were Jews from every nation under heaven. And they were speaking all these different languages because they had lived in all these lands where they were scattered. And southern Judah had been living in these lands. They were scattered in 586 B.C. B.C. So, and Jesus was crucified in around 33 A.D. And right after that comes Pentecost. So add, so add the 33 A.D., since it's only 50 days after the Passover that Pentecost comes, 50 days. I'm not going to argue about what year he died. Some say 35. I'll just say 33. So you add 33 to 586, you get 9, 11, 619, 620 years after they're carried away. 620 years, southern Judah's been living in all these nations of the world, speaking all these different dialects. So when they come back, they can't understand each other as they're coming back through all these years. The devout ones will come back to these three festivals. It was like just havoc. They were trying to communicate with each other. They didn't know how to talk to each other. They didn't even know each other's languages. That's why in the second chapter of Acts, the Bible says they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In order to communicate with each other, God somehow gave them the ability to speak with heteroglossa. That's the word other tongue. Are y'all seeing how all of this is part of just part of the same picture? It's just you can't separate the tongues from the seventy weeks of Daniel. God says I'm going to give you seventy times seven because you went for four hundred ninety years where you never kept the sabbatical years, and we're going to measure that out to you. And He says from the going forth commandment to restore and build Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince. That's when Jesus comes in Jerusalem. And Luke, the 19th chapter, looks out over Jerusalem. Four days later, they're going to crucify him, and he will be the Passover lamb. But he was welcomed into Jerusalem by his followers as the king. They were saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means God save the king. God save King Jesus. Well, they took him and crucified him, the Pharisees did or the Romans at the behest of the Pharisees, four days later, but when he comes in, the 69th week is done, and they are blind. I'll go back to that when we get to the back to the 70 weeks of Daniel. So the 69th week was done. At the end of time, the 70 week, 70th week will come about, 70th week. So the fact that he gave them all this time to repent, and they weren't repenting, and they're coming back, Speaking in all of these dialects and glossa, both of those words are translated tongue. Glossa, we get our word glossary from that. And dialectos. Both of these have been translated tongue. 
That's a terrible translation. And the reason for that, this was during King James era. King James. And during King James reign, back in in the late 1500s and the early 1600s, a knight would be riding across the land and see a young man, and he'd say, Forsooth, young knave, what tongue dost thou speak? Forsooth means of a truth. Tell me the truth. I'm going to start using that on people here. Forsooth. Can you tell me the truth? Young knave, a knave was a young man. What language are you speaking? That's the only reason this was translated tongue. And the Charismatics and the Pentecostals got a hold of this and they made it a jibber-jabbering. If the jibber-jabbering is right, you can cancel out everything I've said up here. Just forget any of it. I'm giving you history. This is Jewish history. This is not some opinion. I've spent 62 years studying the Old Testament. I know a little bit about it. And I've never heard anybody mention these festivals and Israel being scattered in relationship to the tongues. So they're coming back. And for about 200 years prior to Acts 2, 200 prior to Acts 2, they were so frustrated when they would all come back, they did not know how to communicate with each other. Here we got Jews from all over the world, and we can't even get together and worship God together because we all speak a different dialect of the Kone or a different gloss or a different foreign language. Acts 2 was God's place so they could untangle their tongues with one another so they all spoke with heteroglossa as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word utterance, apophathengamai, means to speak so clearly, P-H-T-H-E-G-G-O-M-A-I, so they could be easily understood. And the reason they had to have other tongues is because they couldn't even talk to each other. They were from all over the world. The compendia that we got this out of, this map. The compendia said there could have been as many as 12 million Jews at the Acts 2 Pentecost. 12 million? Wow. Well, how many were converted at Pentecost? Huh? Well, what percentage is that? 3,000 over 12. Three, one, three, two, four. One four thousandth. One four thousandth of the one four thousandth. Whatever percentage that is, divide four thousand into one. Wasn't very many believed, was there? Not many. There were few believed at Pentecost. Because they had three thousand saved. Well, so what? They had twelve million there. Huh? <laughs> say it like that. <laughs> when you say it like that, it makes a little difference, doesn't it? So. Well, where did they stay? The compendia tells us. 
Everybody had to leave their doors open to their houses at these festivals. When your house was full of people, you shut the door, shut the windows. So what you were saying is no vacancy. That's what that meant. Now, they said if you could find a rock to sit on, you were very fortunate because it was shoulder to shoulder. They were just... This is very important to know this because Jesus never broke the law, did he? And he spent all of his time up here in northern Israel, except when he had to go down to southern Judah. Well, what happened? Huh? All right. It's not clicking. Yeah, it is. Well, okay. Jesus spent most of his time up here in Samaria. The Pharisees wouldn't step foot in Samaria. But these these walkways and everything was so crowded, they were shoulder to shoulder. So all he had to do to get away from the Pharisees when they came after him was take a few steps in the crowd and they'd lost him. And he knew exactly where to step and how to blind their eyes so they couldn't find him until it came time for him to die. So he would only come down into Jerusalem for the festivals. He wouldn't go break a festival. And as soon as he'd come down, when you're reading the New Testament, always notice Jesus is at the Passover or he's at one of the feast days. And whenever they would come after him, he would take off and walk past the boundary line of Samaria, Samaria, they considered Samaria filth. There's no way they would go into Samaria for any reason. So he would elude them and step up here in Samaria, and uh, he'd be safe until it came time. When it came time, the Bible says he turned his face towards Jerusalem and said, it's time. He knew exactly when the time was there. So, you have to understand what's going on in Acts 2 has to do with what Israel did over here in the fire worship. And we know, I want to say this again. We know that the fire worship was the same thing. We know it was the same thing. Well, I've done it again. I want to get back to that. That one where we are. I can't get it to go in there. It's contrary. Here it is. We know that the fire worship that Israel was involved in, we know it's the same thing as the Huns' worship of their trees and sun. We know it's the same thing as the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths and their worship. We know it's the same thing as the Saxons and the Angles and their sudden dream worship. The reason we know that is because Revelation 17 and 5 says that Babylon mothered, mothered, gave birth to all harlotry, Harlotry is the word pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. It means idolatry. If Babylon mothered at all, 
we know it's all sun and tree worship. What Constantine brought in the church was the gods of all of these hordes, these barbarians. When he brought it in the church, that's the same thing Israel. If Israel is going after idolatry, and they're going after idolatry, it has the same source, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So what Israel's involved in, I've got a t-shirt that says Israel. The reason the World Trade Center came down is because Israel celebrated Christmas under another name 4,000 years ago. And that's the truth. Christmas is nothing but the fire and the tree worship. That's the reason for all the candles and all the lighting. It was fires to light up the world and beckon the sun back in its course and give you the unconquerable sun so they could have crops in the spring. And it is that detailed. Now, so, we've seen that tongues, 70 weeks, Christmas, false teachers all came from the same thing. You can trace it all back to Israel. Israel could have conquered everybody in the world. All they had to do was serve Jehovah God, and they had all the food they wanted. But instead, they leaned to their own understanding. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. They said, How can we live with a whole year with no food? God said, I'll fill up your storehouses. You'll have more in six years than you possibly raise in seven years. Besides that, they didn't have crop rotation, and they were burning the ground up after 490 years, weren't they? Pulling all the nutrients out of it. It wouldn't grow anyway. I doubt seriously Israel had any good crops the last two or three hundred years of their planting. Now, so all of these, I hope I, I've mentioned this in passing, but the 70 weeks tongues and Christmas all come out of the same system. And not only that, but I'm preaching on Sunday night, how Israel was scattered and they had enmity between northern Israel and southern Judah. And this coming Sunday, I'm going to show how they come back together at the end of time. Well, they're together now. One nation. We have to be close to the end of all things, especially with all this apostasy in the world, all these preachers lying to their congregation. People get upset when I I sat at a table last night with the neighbors and uh, with Ben and Holly, and I said, the preachers are all lying out there. How can you tell they're lying? Well, they tell lies. That's how I can tell it. They talk about accept Christ, and that's not true. They talk about sinner's prayer for salvation. That's not true. They talk about the Mass, the Christ Mass, and the Baptists are doing the Christ Mass. They talk about walking down the aisle and accepting Christ, which is accepting the Eucharist. It comes out of Catholicism. They're saying all these things. They're talking about tongues. Tongues are gloss and dialectos. And they originated in the ancient world. They actually, you know where the tongue started? Huh? Well, to a degree, but you know where the, they were confused? Babylon. When they said, let us build us a city and a tower and let us make us a name. The word name is Shem. 
it's the same name or word as the second born son of Noah. They were saying, we don't like Shem telling us what to do. So we're going to have our own Shem. And we'll have us a virgin born son in it. We'll have a triune Godhead. And we'll have us another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And when we have that, the Bible says, This they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Your imagination is going to get wild and crazy. The world is crazy right now. I keep saying possessed with devils, according to a dozen encyclopedias I've got, including the McClinic and Strong, possessed with devils, demonizomai means to be insane. Indeed, demonion means to distribute fortunes, and the world's crazy. It's nothing but let's get high, let's have everything we want, let's get high on things and stuff and drugs and drinking and everything else, and let's get ourselves where we want to be, and if it feels good, do it. That's crazy. No godly living, no holy living, no righteous living. We're living in insane times. I believe the world is really nuts. I believe the preachers are crazy. You can give them a verse. You can say, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Well, that don't mean that. That means something else. You're an idiot, too. Idiotes. You're unlearned. I like to use the word idiot because it means unlearned. I'm really depressed. All this stuff is going through my head every day. It's racing through my head. And I'm just sick of the preachers. I am more fed up with the preachers than anybody I know. Now, Dave thought he was fed up, not like I am, because I know where they're lying. I know exactly where they're, with the tongues, with the faith healing, they're lying. Nobody's being healed with their faith. How can you get what you want with your faith when faith is death to self? You start believing God instead of believing yourself. It's it's crazy. And every time the Bible says, Thy faith is made thee whole, that word whole is the word sozo. It means saved. Every time. How do you know that? Oh, that's real easy. I've got a word study concordance. You look up the word saved in a in a Strong's Concordance, and you look up the word in the, the Word Study Concordance, it'll tell you every time that word sozo is mentioned, and every time it's mentioned, it's where they would say, thy faith has made thee whole. It's the word saved. Faith saves, it doesn't heal. Jim, you seem to ride that to death. I ride it to death because the preachers everywhere are preaching insanity. Even the Baptists are scared to death to tell Pentecostals, your tongues is absolute lie. And it is. Now, let's go back over here. I've got to finish up. Can you see how that Christmas, the 70 weeks, and tongues are part of the same picture? Can you see that? That's not even hard to figure out. All you got to do is study the Old Testament, study and study and study for 50, 60 years like what I've done, and you'll see it. You'll say, oh, gosh, yeah, I see that. So they're back here at Pentecost, and what I've got to do, I've got to show you something here. Y'all got all this down, don't you? I'll race it. I can put it back up on the board anytime anybody wants it. So, tongues, 70 weeks, Christmas, 
they're in the same picture. They're, you can't separate one of them from the picture. Tongues is because they've all been scattered because of their apostasy. Their apostasy was serving sun and tree worship, which Constantine brought into the church. How's that just for a short message? I, what's funny to me, as a little boy, nobody had ever mentioned to me that Christmas was paganism. I've told the story. And I was a little kid. I was always real skinny. Me and one other boy would be the littlest guys in the class. When I would sit out on the couch at home, my feet wouldn't touch the floor. And I was 12 years old. And I always... I didn't know why I was doing this. I thought there was something wrong with me. I was always analyzing everything as a little kid. I'd look at something. I said, I wonder why that's that way. And my dad went out and bought a TV. I had never seen a television in my life up to 1951. I was 12 years old that year. Never seen one. Didn't know anything about a movie in a house. I thought, what? That's crazy. And Daddy went out and bought a box about this big and had an 8-inch screen on it, about like that. It had rabbit ears. There was no cable back then. We didn't even have the antenna on top of the house. It had rabbit ears. And the picture would go like that sideways half time. And there's a horizontal hole adjustment. Somebody adjust a horizontal hole. Always going over to adjust it. And... Uh, Daddy brought a TV home. We watched everything. We turned the lights out so it was pitch dark. We thought lights are going to mess up the screen, you know. <laughs> turned all the lights out. We watched everything. Howdy Doody. Do y'all remember Howdy Doody, don't you? We'd watch Howdy Doody. We'd watch that was a little kid's show with a little goofy puppet and Clarabelle the Clown and and Buffalo Bob. And uh, and we'd watch preaching shows. We'd watch Fulton Sheen, a Roman Catholic priest. In fact, Martin Sheen, the movie actor, named him, his mother and father named him after that, Fulton Sheen. Just a boring priest on TV. And we'd watch I Love Lucy. That was on in the early 50s when I was a little boy. And we'd watch... We had nothing else to do. All we had was two stations. We had CBS and NBC. ABC was fledgling. It hadn't taken hold yet. We'd watch the Midnight Mass, and here I am, a little boy, my feet not touching the floor. I'm watching intensely as the Pope comes out and holds up the Mass, and I'm saying to myself, nobody ever said a word to me, I'm saying, is this Christ's Mass? Is this Roman Catholicism? This is Christmas Eve. St. Nicholas is supposed to come tonight. I think that's another name for Santa Claus. I found out later on that it went through a development phase. It went through being called Center Klaus in Holland and then coming to America, St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. I found out he was a 4th century Roman Catholic bishop giving gifts to children and some of the after studying for years I found out a lot of the people thought a lot of the historians thought he was a pedophile giving gifts to little children and I'm sitting there saying is this Christ's mass 
I'm hitting the nail on the head. I'm a little boy with my, I was always analyzing things. I'm just sitting there analyzing it going. And it didn't bother me when we quit doing it. My mother would come to me and say, your daddy don't have any money this year. I'd be 13, 14. She'd say there won't be any Christmas. And the thing that bothered me most about it, that it oppressed the poor. The poor couldn't partake in it. We couldn't partake in it. I didn't care. I had a paper route, and I'd go make money and go to the movie with my money. And I didn't care about me because it bothered me because the poor had nothing to do with it. That is one of the worst things about it. But anyway, that's this thing that Constantine brought in the church. It's about this right here. That picture right there tells you what Christmas is about. Now, what we got to do, I've got to show you one more time how that tongues are glossa are for a sign not to them that believe that believe but to them that believe not. So the only thing tongues were for were to get the message over to unbelieving unbelieving Gentile elect. And it will turn, the tongues would turn away the unbelievers from the truth. It was simply for this. Look back over there in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Then the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you have to keep remembering. They, what was happening, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, These are the two chapters that the Pentecostals go to. Acts 2, and there's some other places that it's used. Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. These are the Pentecostal movement. Do I believe in Pentecost? Absolutely. We're in a spiritual Pentecost. Do I believe in Pentecostalism? I hate Pentecostalism. It's a lie. The tongues, the faith healing, the slain in the spirit. Slain in the spirit is the most idiotic thing I have ever seen. Let me show you why. Look over here in John 6. When they go around whacking people in the head and swinging their coat at them, Benny Ann does that, and they fall down and they say they're slain in the spirit. Well, here's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Now look here. Jesus is giving his discourse to the apostles. And he says here in verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, at this thing of, of uh, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He just got through saying that in the previous verses. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
you don't have any life in you. And eat flesh and drink blood does not mean to eat the Eucharist. Jesus says, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, up there in verse 55. Indeed is the word alathes. It means of truth. So when you eat flesh and drink blood, you're eating of truth. You're eating of truth. Truth is the word alathes, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. means to take the cover off. When you take the cover off all the meanings and you tell people what tongues are, they're going to want to crucify you. You cannot, with all your power, convince an old Pentecostal dog that's my age. We've got one fellow here. His grandparents are about my age, and they're 100% full-blown Pentecostals, tongue-speaking, faith-healing. It's just not true. I don't know if you all know here. I've checked some of this out on the Internet. The fastest growing thing in the world, one of the fastest growing movements, is the charismatic movement. And it's moving into all these foreign countries with their tongues, their faith healing. It's moving into Ecuador, isn't it? And they're holding hands with Roman Catholicism. I believe that the charismatic Pentecostal movement is one of the most dangerous things in the world concerning the New Testament church. There's not many Protestants there's only about 16,000 uh, uh, Southern Baptists in America, and it's supposed to be the largest of the, not 16,000. Anyway, it's a, not, a, not a great number. And most of the people in America are Roman Catholic, and the Charismatics is pulling everybody together with their feel-good doctrine, God wants you to be rich, and it's penetrating all the world, all the Protestants in the world. And Pentecostalism holds hands with Roman Catholicism. So it's moving in all the areas of Protestantism. And what it adds up to, it adds up to this edict of toleration where everybody's going to get along. That's how that the, there'll be a worldwide church. The Catholics are not going to convert to Buddhism. They'll all just hold hands one day and say, we're going to let everybody believe what they want to believe, just like Constantine did when he brought all this into the church and called it Roman Catholicism. There is a series that played on the on the TV back 15, 18 years ago. It was called The Barbarians. You can see all this in the Barbarian series. Y'all remember that? Played on the internet. It played on the television. It was a series for about a week. It was called The Barbarians. You can get that probably down here at Best Buy, get the series or order it from them, and it'll tell you all about it. Now, look here what the Lord says. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall, this is verse 62, What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The spirit, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. This is what the spirit does. It makes alive. Make poeo zoo. You go to a zoo and see living animals. 
the spirit makes alive it does not kill when they say slain in the spirit they're saying the holy spirit comes and kills you it's idiocy according to this verse here isn't it spirit doesn't kill anybody that makes me sick to see them up there whacking people and they're falling down if you look at somebody doing it, look at Benny Hinn, they'll fall on the floor and then they'll lay there going, what do I do now? Well, get up from there. They say it's the spirit that kills them, that slays them. That comes from Catherine Kuhlman. She was this witch, called herself a Pentecostal charismatic in the 50s and 60s, and she would come out. You need to look up Catherine Kuhlman, K-U-H-L-M-A-N. She's said to be Benny Hinn's mentor. And he even goes out to her grave and she says, he says she comes up out of the grave of her spirit and imbues him and covers him all over and baptizes him with her spirit. Benny Hinn is a lying thief. He'll be in hell one day. Now, so it is the spirit that quickeneth. The spirit doesn't kill anybody. Does it? No. So when you're filled with the Spirit, I want you to notice something. If you'll take, go back to Acts 2. Every time you see, now what's the Holy Spirit? The truth. John 14, 15, 16, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. Well, when a man has the truth and he's filled with the Spirit, look at Acts 2. I'm going to bring a copy of every time the Bible says the Holy Spirit, someone's baptized the Holy Spirit. Each time it says that, it'll say the same thing here in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Acts. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak. When you have the truth in you, you start talking. Every time you see that, and the Holy Ghost came upon them, they spake. You'll find that just about every time the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, and they spake. They're speaking the truth in these other glosses so they can understand each other. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is a completely different situation as Acts 2. 1 Corinthians 14 has to do with Jesus telling the apostles in the 28th chapter of Matthew, after he resurrects from the dead, he goes to the 11 apostles in northern Israel. He goes up here into northern Israel. Now remember, northern Israel was very country and backwoods. The, the 11 apostles that were left after Judas killed himself, they're all from northern Israel. Judas is the only one that was from southern Judah. Southern Judah is filled with Pharisees and educated men. Judas's father was a Pharisee. And all these are, like I said, they're like people from southern Mississippi or southern Alabama. And Jesus walks up to, he appears to his apostles after he resurrected, and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. They're going, Whoa! We got a dialect of we got a dialect of the tongue in northern Israel 
and maybe one of the dialect and you want us to go into all the world and teach and we don't know any of those dialects in Glossa? How are we going to do that? He says, I'm going to give you the way to do it. And he said, go and tarry in Jerusalem till the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when these Jews from every nation, they come to Jerusalem, when they come to Jerusalem, they're going to go back home. But they're only Jews because they're required to be there and they're devout because they have to come there according to the law of God. If they're devout, that's the only reason they're there trying to keep the law of God. And these 3,000 that are believers at Jerusalem, they're going to go back home and preach what they heard Peter say because they heard it in their own dialect wherein they were born. Some of them come from over here in Spain. And they're going to come back to Spain and preach in the dialect here of... It's amazing, Peter is preaching, and it's going to all these different men in their own dialect wherein they were born. That's the key to the whole thing. So they're going to all go home, and they're going to give the truth to all flesh, to the red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh. And this is the opening of the Gentile ears to truth. This is God pouring out of his spirit on all men, all flesh. And when he would have all men be saved, all men will be saved, but not every individual. Red, yellow, white, black, and brown men will be believers. At, in Acts 2, he's going to give this truth. But when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, I keep saying this, and I'm going to say it again. The center of the civilized world, as far as these people were concerned, was Greece. And when you're in Greece, this little slough that goes up here, there's a land bridge. It looks like a hand down there. See that thing? It looks like a hand. It's like this. Uh, let me see here. It's like this. You see that? This is called the Peloponnesus up here. Uh, down here, this is Peloponnesus. P-O-L-L-E-P-O-N-E-S-U-S, something like that. I can't spell it right. And this up here is called Macedonia, or Macedon. Huh? I have one here? Okay. Okay. Here's the hand. This is the Peloponnesus down here. Here's Macedonia. If you'll notice, Thessalonica and Philippi are in Macedonia. When Paul heard the Macedonian call, we sing that song, we have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. Well, he was over here in Troas, and he was had a vision, and Philippi was saying, come over here and help us. So he goes over there on his journey and comes on down here, goes to Athens and goes to Corinth here. Corinth was a center of world trade of sailors and soldiers and people of all races were coming there. And there were probably just dozens and dozens of dialects and glossa in the streets of Corinth. Paul is at Corinth. He says, I don't want anybody coming in here and speaking in a glossa that's unknown. All you're going to do is lift yourself up. 
And we're not supposed to be edifying ourselves and lifting ourselves up. We're to edify the church, not me. That's why I have a... I travel as a gospel singer for years, and I travel as a pop singer for years. I have an aversion to being on stage and getting applause from a crowd. I just don't care about it. It goes against the grain of truth. God resists the proud. Resists antitasomai means to wage war against the proud. Proud huperephanos means to shine above others. It means people who are on a stage trying to shine. I know what people are thinking when they're on stage showing off their talent. They're thinking, hey, look at me. Listen to me. Listen to how great I am. That's with everybody that gets on a stage. Especially if you're with a real good group, you're saying, wait till we get out there. You ain't heard nothing yet. And that's what you're thinking, and that's the whole idea of not shining. And he says that in this second verse of 1 Corinthians 14. Let me say it again. Let me read it again. First of all, he says, follow after charity. Well, chapter 13 is a charity chapter, isn't it? Charity is the word agape. That's walking in the commandments of God. This is agape. Second John 6, you say, you say that all the time. Well, it just happened to fit in. Second John 6, this is love. The word is agape, that we walk after his commandments. If you really have a love for your brother, you walk in the commandments of God, but it won't just be the Ten Commandments. I'm going to keep saying this. It'll be every imperative mood that God gives you in the New Testament. You say, I can't remember those imperative moods. You don't have to remember them. They're written in your heart. When he says agonize over sin, you know you're supposed to be doing that even though you may not be doing it. He says strive to enter into the straight gate, agonizomai. That's an imperative command. If Jesus says agonize, you think you have a choice in that? Is that if he commands you to agonize over sin? It is, one fellow called me and said, I thought well, you had a choice when he said that to either do it or not do it. No, you don't. It's kind of like me telling Eric when he's at home, uh, pick up your clothes, take the garbage out. Do you think he had a choice? No, he didn't. And if the heavenly father tells us, agonize over sin, humble yourself under the hand of God, that is not, well, I can either do that or not do it. No, you can't. He's put it in your heart, and when he commands, he's going to cause you to be willing to do it. So if we... If we follow charity, we follow not just the Ten Commandments, we follow the commandments of God that are all through the Bible. I've got a paper that's got every imperative mood in the New Testament in it. But when the Pharisees would use an imperative mood, that's not a command from God. So you have to separate the ones that the, that the Pharisees are using from the ones that Jesus is using. Ones that Jesus uses are only for his people who can hear. The hearing ear and the seeing eye of the Lord hath made him both of them. So he's only made that for his elect family. But when he says that, you may say, well, I don't want to do that right now. But you will want to do it. When he says hear, he's not saying hear. He's saying hear my words over your lifetime. 
and you will give up self later on and you will start agonizing over sin and you will humble yourself under the hand of God and all these imperative commands you will do you will enter ye in at the straight gate enter I circle my means to go into the straight gate you will enter it's not a matter of whether you want to God will fix your want to. If you never do want to follow the commandments of God and you never do want to do his will, you don't belong to God. I have people call me and say, man, I'm just hungering. I had a fellow call me the other day. His name was uh, Steve Garcia. He's down in, in Taylorville, Texas. And Steve, if you listen, we love you, brother. And he said, I'm 34 years old. I got four kids. And he said, I want to know the truth. I don't want to follow the truth. I want to come up there and see you guys. And I was just so encouraged. I talked to him for about an hour, and he just loves the truth. If you really belong to God somewhere in your life, you may say, Jim, I can't do what you do and learn what you learn. I know that. You're not supposed to learn what I learn. You're supposed to learn what you can. Write these words down, take notes on my messages, and use these words around people. And the more you use the Greek words, the more you're going to want to use more because they're going to look at you cross-eyed, you know, like a like the old saying goes, like a cow staring at a new gate, you know, like... like they're not going to know what to do when you use these words. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? Huh? All right. I'm not going to get very far, but I'm going to come back. I wanted to really just drive this in the ground about 70 weeks, tongues, Christmas, are all a part of the same picture. I want you to see that. And he says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. And people will look at that, charismatics will look at that, and Pentecostals say, well, see, that's a commendation. That's not a commendation. That's a condemnation. He's condemning people. And if you notice unknown is in italics, it means it's not in the text. So it actually says, he that speaketh in a foreign language, that's what it says. Tongue is the word glossa. He that speaketh in a foreign language, if you come into church here at Corinth and you start preaching in a Cyrene glossa, all you're doing is lifting yourself up and the only person in the church that knows what you're saying is God. He said, don't do that. Then he says, but unto God, but no man understands him. And he goes on through this whole chapter and says, I want everybody to speak words that can be easily understood. This is not a chapter of commending Pentecostals. When you're reading, notice what's being said. You have to notice what's being said because sometimes the man who's thinking is messed up, he's going to lift himself up when the Bible says don't ever do that. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. And does God need you talking to him only? No. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. 
all your that's saying see we need to speak mysteries in the spirit no you don't not according to the rest of the chapter god doesn't want mysteries musturian now what does it do any good to preach in a language nobody understands doesn't enter anybody any good does it I don't understand Spanish. I can't come up here on Tuesday nights and listen to Scott and get much out of it unless I go home and study the Spanish language and learn to speak Spanish, and that's going to take me several years, and I'm too busy pastoring a church to do that. It would be like Scott coming on Sunday morning and preaching this message in Spanish, and what would you do? What's he saying? What is he saying? The same thing that we're doing here at Corinth. If you don't understand, don't understand Spanish, you don't have the Holy Spirit, like Dee said. Then he says, But he that, for no man understandeth him, have been in the Spirit, he's speaking things that can't be understood. But he that prophesieth, which means to speak for Christ in a language people can understand, speaketh unto men to edification of the church and exhortation and comfort. Then he turns around and says, you're not being comforted if you speak in an unknown tongue. Because he says, you're being edified if a person prophesies in a language you can understand. You're being oiko. Domeo, O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. Ocodomeo is the word edify, and it's a construction of oikos and dome. Dome is the word roof, and oikos is the word house. It means the roof of a house. When the roof was finished on the top of a house, they said the house was finished. The house is being built. You notice he's throwing verse 4 against verse 3. Verse 3 says, if you prophesy, and the idea is prophesying a word that can be understood, you're not prophesying if you're speaking in an unknown language. Nobody understands it. And the church or the house of God is not being built up. Know you not that you're the house of God? Don't you know that? Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? And you have to be edified. He's talking about not being edified when you've got a confusing language. He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself. You will never, ever find in the Bible anywhere where you're supposed to build up yourself. Edify means to build up. The man is speaking an unknown tongue here at Corinth. Well, America's speaking an unknown tongue in the pulpits, aren't they? They're speaking an unknown tongue. They don't have... The Pentecostals don't have any idea that the word tongue is dialectos and glossa. The Baptists don't have any idea that the Bible teaches against accept Christ. It teaches belief for salvation. The Baptists don't understand that sinner's prayer is not the method of salvation. We know that God heareth not sinners. They're speaking in an unknown tongue. We have an unknown tongue coming from the pulpits of the preachers in America. They don't know what anything means. They don't know Christmas is Christ's mass. 
The mass is eating human flesh. And you know how that frustrates me? To no end. I get just bent out of shape listening to preachers preach. And then he says, remember I told you over there in John 7, and I believe it's verse 18, 17, how that the Bible says, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. If you're just speaking of yourself, if you're speaking an unknown tongue, you're speaking of yourself because nobody understands you but God, and God doesn't need to be preached to, does he? I would that ye all spake with gloss of foreign languages so when all these sailors and salespeople come in here, you could speak to them and say things to them. But rather that you prophesied in a word that they can understand. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with gloss of foreign languages, except he interprets. You've got to have an interpreter here for Spanish if you've got a Spanish speaker here, or if you've got an Italian speaker, or whatever gloss in the world is coming here to the church at Corinth, somebody that knows that language say what he's saying. Don't do it without having an interpreter there. That the church may receive oikodomeo, that the church may be built up, not you being built up. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with glossa, all these glosses that walking through the streets of Corinth, these sailors coming in here, people coming here saying, I have a word to say, they start rattling in some unknown language. Shall, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Doctrine is the word didache. It means instruction. If a guy's speaking in an unknown language, you can't receive instruction. He's talking about when you're prophesying, prophesying in a language that the people here know at Corinth. And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction, a defining, a definition. Except they give a distinction, diastole, D-I-A-S-T-O-L-E. That's the word distinction, diastole. Distinction means a variation or a difference in words. You have to have a difference in the sounds. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? Unless you have an understanding of what's going on, how's anybody going to know? You, you just stand up in the middle of a church and say what you want to say and nobody understands? I've asked people that go to church here in this town, you know what the preacher said Sunday? Can you remember anything he said? Well, uh, 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 I, uh, I think he talked about Jesus. He should have. If you know a Baptist or a Pentecostal, ask them what their preacher preached on Sunday. They have no idea. For if a trumpet give an uncertain sound, trumpets were voices. When you find seven angels with seven trumpets in Revelation 8, 9, and 10, they're telling you what those voices are telling you what's going to happen. I've said it so many times when you 
if you're in the Army, I went to a military school with the Texas A&M when it was Compulsory Corps. When they sound reveille, I heard that so many times, I can't get over it every morning. That means, get up, it's time to go eat. They would give the assembly calls. At night, you could hear, you hear taps every night. That meant it's time to go to bed. Trumpets are nothing but voices, and he's saying, when you hear a voice, it has to have a distinction in sound. He's reprimanding them for doing what the Pentecostals are doing in their churches, jibber-jabber-jibber-jabber-jibber-jabber, and that's all they're doing when these people are coming into the church. Paul says later on, I'd rather speak five words that could be understood than 10,000 words in an unknown glossa. This chapter is reprimanding what the Pentecostals are doing, and they use it to lift up what they're doing. They say, speaking an unknown tongue is good. No, it's not. And who shall prepare himself to battle? If there's not a... You don't play taps as you're going into battle. You're only playing taps for we all get off our horses. No, they got to have charge. The trumpet will tell you what to do. He's comparing trumpets with voices. In fact, you do the same thing in Revelation, the first chapter, and Revelation, the fourth chapter. Revelation 8, 9, and 10, and I'm out of time. I'll come back. We'll resume where we are here. I'm just trying to paint this picture for you. I want you to see above everything tonight that tongues, Christmas, and this whole map has to do, and the 70 weeks of Daniel has to do with the same thing. It's a huge picture. I hope I'll say it over and over again so you'll finally get a hold of it because we're going to go back through the 70 weeks of Daniel. To preach the 70 weeks of Daniel, you've got to preach everything that's in the Bible. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll come back and resume here. I'll try to resume right here. I want to say things so you can see this whole, this whole thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help the church to understand these things. Seems somewhat simple after we've studied it for years. I want to be able to impart it to them so they can speak it to other people. Lord, help us in all that we do. And above everything, Lord, cause us to be content in all things, knowing that you're in charge of everything in our lives, the good and the bad, because all the bad works together for our good. Thank you for truth. Lead us to your elect. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. And I mean that. Praise him for everything. Have you gotten everything out of this book, you mean? Okay, well, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Hey, what are you doing there? Shielding? It's H-E-L-D-I-N-G, shielding. <laughs> Where are you going? You running away from me?
You're running away from me. Huh? You're tired. Why? What'd you do? Sleep all day? What'd you do? Sleep all day? <laughs> Is that why you're tired? I love you, Sheldon.